Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, I did not get a podcast out last week. I drove across the country from Salt Lake to South Bend, Indiana, spent a week with my two sisters cleaning out my parents' house. As you know, a year ago, my mother passed away uh, while I was out sailing in Croatia. And we had a memorial for uh, this winter. And the last thing I need to do or we needed to do to clean up the estate was to put her house on the market. And we needed to go back there and clean out the house, take some of our mementos home. And I drove back because, first of all, I didn't know how long I was going to be back there. I didn't know how long this job would take. And I did not want to get tied into a specific airline ticket. It's a, it's a long drive. It's about a three-day drive. I did it in three days on the way out and two days on the way back. And my mother was a, um, a real artist with stained glass, cut stained glass. She made some beautiful lamps, and my wife and my daughters wanted some of her, her glass, her stained glass, and I did not feel comfortable trying to ship that, so that was one of the reasons I drove out was so I could carefully pack up the stained glass and bring it back. And, of course, I <laughs> brought a whole, a whole carload of stuff back with me, which I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Of course, I do know a few things. My dad had a classic uh, Woodsman, Colt Woodsman 22 pistol, which I brought back with me. And those were started, I think those were built, they were designed by Browning. I think is it Dave Browning? Uh, back in around 1917. And in fact, there's a place up in uh, up uh, Weber Canyon where the family had its factory at one point in time. And he made some classic um, firearms over the years. The Browning automatic rifle, which was used extensively in World War II. The classic 1911, which is still used today by a lot of people. And... Uh, so I got that, as well as an Enfield rifle from 1917, which is a 30 6 chamber that was used in World War I, and I brought that back with me as well, as well as a lot of photographs and other things. So it was good to get that job done, but I just did not have the time to put together a podcast for last week, and so that's why you didn't get one. I have some questions from listeners, but, but before we get to the questions, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. For over 50 years, Sailrite has been your authority in all things marine DIY. Do it yourself. What started as a mail-order correspondence course on sailmaking has grown into one of the largest online and catalog retailers for the marine industry. Sailrite stocks everything you need to sew for your boat. They are the only company that makes one design and custom sail kits. As a passionate group of DIYers, Sailrite's dedication to self-reliance at sea is proven in their products and services. Sailrite sells fabric, foam, supplies, and more, including the legendary portable and powerful Ultrafeed sewing machine. So you can be self-reliant and save money by sewing your own projects, from biminis to dodgers, sacrificial sail covers and sail bags, to interior and exterior seating and cushions. 
Sailrite brings you the best brands in the industry for unmatched product quality and professional-looking DIY results. With over 50 years of bringing you quality products, unparalleled service and support, and free how-to videos, Sailrite is a name you can trust. Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there, so if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's emails. Well, this email came from Dominique, and Dominique wrote, Hi, Franz, I'm a new listener to your podcast, and I really enjoy it. Excellent format, guests, and interviews. I'm sorry to hear about the fact that you've had to cancel your plans for sailing this season. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I mentioned that, but uh, I ended up having to cancel my summer sailing season. I was hoping to get over there for a short sail, but I still cannot fly into Italy. And if Italy opens up and I can fly there quickly and go for a quick couple weeks sail, I may do that. But as it stands right now, I've, I've canceled my summer sail to Italy. And of course, I was going to participate in the Corsica Classic Regatta as well. I've canceled that as well. Hopefully, I'll be invited back again next year. Anyway, he, wrote, he goes on. My wife and I live in Toronto, Canada. And we are a few years from retirement. I was first introduced to sailing some 25 years ago on my dad's sailboat, a 27-foot Jono Fantasia that I kept on Lake Champlain in Vermont. We have since chartered sailboats several times in the BVI's, Grenadines, and Bahamas, and we've taken our ASA 101, 103, and 104 in recent years. My wife and I are now planning to purchase a sailboat in the 40 to 44-foot range. We are looking for a blue water cruiser with an aluminum hull and lifting keel. As a result, we're considering French or UK brands such as OVNI, Allures, or Southerly on the second-hand market. We plan on sailing in North America, the Great Lakes, U.S. East Coast, Chesapeake, Bahamas, Caribbean for the next four to six years before crossing the Atlantic to spend another three to five years cruising in the mid and beyond, excuse the pun. Since we've never owned a sailboat before, I'm trying to understand how difficult the process of converting the electrical system is from EU to North America standards. Given our sailing program and the fact that we are most likely to sell our boat in Europe in 10 to 12 years from now, the demand for this type of blue water cruiser is greater over there. Would you recommend another strategy to handle the electricity on board? when purchasing a used European sailboat. Thanks in advance for any help you can offer, and stay safe. Well, um, if you're buying a European boat, it may already be set up for uh, 210 electricity. Uh, let's go through some quick comments on electricity. Most boats' internal components operate on 12 volt, as you know but you may have specific AC outlets that you want to plug in different appliances, such as TVs or, or uh, drills, tools, that sort of thing. 
but most of your well, your lights probably are powered by 12 volts. So that, that you don't need to modify the 12 volt system, okay? Just leave that alone. If you're talking about the AC system and it's already converted to US, I would be concerned that it's been converted correctly. It's not just a matter of taking out outlets and putting in new outlets, taking out European outlets and sticking in US outlets. There's a big difference between 110 and 220. And the big difference is in AC, the higher the voltage, the lower the conductor you need to give you the same amount of power, the watts that you're using, the amps that are they're going through the line. So I have, a, I have on my boat a long, long extension cord, which is 16 gauge, and that's set up for 220. I could never run that long of an extension cord in the United States on 16 gauge. I would have to go to either 14 or 12 gauge to get the length without the loss of power over that, over that distance that I have this extension cord for. So the biggest thing you have to be concerned about is, number one, was it converted correctly? In other words, did they downsize the circuit breakers for... 110. If you convert a bolt that has been built for 220 to 110, the conductors inside that boat, the wiring inside that boat is going to be a much lighter gauge than if you build outlets for 110 to begin with. If you build a house, a house is built with 12 gauge wire or 14 gauge wire, depending on what it's used for. In a boat, if you have a boat built for 220 and they just took out the outlets and put in 110, you will significantly need to reduce the wattage or reduce the amperage on the circuit breakers to make sure you don't overwhelm that system. The most common cause of fire is electrical. I have that experience personally. I'll tell you a quick story. I have a rental apartment. I rebuilt the basement, and I wanted to rewire the basement for and replumb the basement. And I had an electrician come over and rewire and replumb the basement. So it was all up to code for the for the basement. I didn't want to mess around with the upstairs. It was two apartments, and I just did not want to mess around with the upstairs. Well, one night I get a call from my daughter who was living in the basement apartment. She says, Dad, I smell smoke everywhere. I said, okay, let me get over. This is about 3 o'clock in the morning. I went over and knocked on the door for the upstairs tenant. And I don't know why the smoke alarm did not go off, but I could smell smoke coming out of their house. You could not see it, but you could smell it. And I called up the fire department. They said, get everybody out of the house. They came up there, and it had not burst into flame, but they found a hot spot in the ceiling and... Uh, to make a long short story short, they, they put that out. My upstairs tenants had to go move into a hotel for a couple months while I had an electrician come back and rewire. What had happened is this electrician, when he converted from the upstairs to the downstairs, had connected a 14-gauge wire for the downstairs to a 16-gauge wire upstairs, and the upstairs tenants were using a electrical heater which is which uses a lot of amps and had over 
heated that connection. Right at that connection was smoldering and smoldering and smoldering, and it would have burst into flame later on that night. Uh, So be very careful with AC electricity. That is the most common cause of fires in houses. Um, I would probably recommend that you have it professionally done. Now, I have on my boat a, and this is how I deal with it, I plan on dealing with it, is a battery charger. I think it's a Mastervolt is the name of the brand that runs on both 220 and 110. And so if it were me and I were in the United States and I planned on going over to Europe, that's the type of battery charger I would put in because then you're just going to be needing to change an outlet and you'll be able to plug into 220 for charging your batteries over there or 110 over here. And it works well on my boat. And of course, I'm still in Europe right now. Uh, On an aluminum boat, just be very careful. Aluminum is notorious for electrolysis. I think you get about a point. I think it's about 0.3 volts if you just have (laughs) <laughs> this is this is what you really have to worry about. Say you're say you strip some wire and you get a little piece of copper down in your bilge. Unless that is insulated from the aluminum, that will start to conduct electricity and literally corrode through your boat. So be very very careful when you're doing wiring work on your boat and make sure you don't have any tiny pieces of copper that fall through and get in the bilge and have a connection with the aluminum, because basically you're creating a battery down there. If you have any water in the bilge, salt water is a great conductor, and you can actually make yourself a um, a battery because one is a cathode, the aluminum is the cathode, or and the copper is the anode, or vice versa, and the electricity flows between the two. The aluminum is less noble, so it will wear out faster than the copper. So just be careful when you go with a, an aluminum boat. And I did see, I do see quite a few aluminum boats over in Europe, and they seem to get around pretty well. So that's about all I have to say on that question. Good luck. That's it for today's emails. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, or comments or questions, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com, or use the contact form at the website. If you want to do me a big favor, you could become a Patreon of the podcast. I have a few listeners out there that are already patrons, and I'm looking for more. If you have some spare change that you could throw my way once in a while, please sign up at patreon.com backslash medsailor. And one more thing, if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's get on to today's episode. Well, today my interview is with Andrew Colley of Classic Yacht Info. Let's get on to that interview right now. I'm on Skype with Andrew Cully. Andrew is the uh, curator and the founder and, I guess, the designer of ClassicYachtInfo.com. And I came across your website 
when I was looking for the uh, Corsica Classic Regatta, and you had some information on the regatta at your website. Also, I notice in your website that you have a little article about Leo Sampson, um, who's one of who's been on the podcast in the past and is uh, one of my favorite YouTube producers as he's building his 110-year-old sailing yacht, Tally Ho, which is a, a similar design to my boat, which is a Bristol Channel Cutter. And so I, you're a follower of his as well. And I wanted to just get you on and find out what your passion is, how you started the website, what your background is, and uh, go from there. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself, and we'll go from there. Okay, great. Um, well, firstly, Leo, just going sticking with Leo, his, yeah, his work is fantastic. And what he's, his videos that he's done on YouTube are, are um, yeah, I mean, it's just great to follow him and see what he's doing. And, and uh, he comes with lots of humor and fun. And yeah, it's great to see. Um, from my side of things, um, yeah, so I mean, I've been in the sailing industry, in the yachting industry since uh, 1999, when I, um, having already been, been brought up as a keen dinghy sailor, I um, found myself finishing a degree in Southampton and, and moving on to um, the Lady Anne, which is a William Fife 15 meter gaff cutter. And, um, and she had just completed a restoration in Fairley Restorations down in the Hamble and, um, and was headed to the Med. So, so that was me. I, I sort of um, left uni not knowing what I was going to do. And the next minute I was in the Mediterranean sailing on this incredible classic and um, uh, cruising with the owners and, and taking part in, in the classic regattas. So that was kind of the, the baptism um, into the, the classics and, and the yachting profession. Um, yeah, and, and from there, it, it just kept on going. As, as um, many people know, the Lady Anne is um, owned by um, the Bottin family, which is uh, Banco Santander and others. And um, he... They also own Addix, which is a three-masted schooner and um, very famous boat. And so I arrived out in the Mediterranean on the Lady Anne. She was, she was shipped down, and, and we joined her in Alcudia in the north of Mallorca. And then um, next minute, I was having lunch on, a, on, on Addix um, with the 13 crew that works on there. So... So yeah, it was quite something from from the halls of residence and things in Southampton to be suddenly in this in this um, whole different world. Well, um, were you were you as a crew or as a guest? How did you get on these boats? No, yeah, no. So I was yeah very much as um, a crew. I came. I started as a deckhand, as the nipper on the Lady Anne. And um, all right, all right, hold on. What is a nipper? I, I'm not okay. familiar with that term. Okay, a nipper is uh, it's it's like the the it's the guy that gets all the really bad tasks. <laughs> so like cleaning the bilge, uh, you know, cleaning the heads out, um, 
you know, going to the top of the regs champ. He's he's the guy that that um, he's like the apprentice. You know, he's he's um, he's got to earn his living and he's got to um, learn the hard way. Um, so so yeah, so that's it's an old seaman, seamanship, it's an old seaman's term. So well, I'm on Google and I'm looking for Lady Anne. So is that A N N E or A N N? No, it's A N N E. So it's yeah. the Lady Anne. Okay. And um, yeah, you'll you'll also find her on the site. Okay, so I see some also some mega yachts, some power yachts, but that's not it. No. Okay, let's look at some. And you're saying it's a three-masted. Uh, no, so the Lady Anne is a gaff cutter. A she gaff is, cutter, okay. Yeah, so she was... Um, oh, there she is. Built, built in 1912. Well, that's so on your you, website. There I, it is. It's actually taking me back to your website. Okay, good. There you go. That's good. The search, <laughs> the Google search is working well. Yeah. All right. We'll go right on back to where we started out at. Oh, what a gorgeous boat. Okay. So you started uh, sailing on her then. And uh, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry to break you up. So, so continue this story because I didn't know what a nipper was. So that's good information. <laughs> so yeah, started on the Lady Anne, and after the first Mediterranean uh, season, so sort of ending up after after the new log after the Les Bois de Saint Tropez in in early October, um, we went back to winter in San Remo and. And alongside the mothership, which was which was Addix, um, this three-masted schooner, she was built in 1984-86, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And um, and she was um, she was built as a as Jessica, and she was um, modified in in the late 80s um, uh, along the lines of the schooner Atlantic. Um, which was uh, famous for breaking uh, transatlantic records uh, back in 1905. Um, so yeah, lots of history here. <laughs> um, Addix is is a weapon. She's a steel hull. She the captain um, it, it was and still is Paul Goss, um, and uh, it was very much like uh, the perfect school to. Uh, to sort of learn seamanship and uh, the way the way to work in this industry at the at the highest and most professional level, um, but always keeping those sort of classic roots and and as I say the seamanship at the forefront of it all. Um, so even with a three-masted schooner that's 65 meters, we were sailing onto anchor and sailing off the anchor and. And all this kind of thing. So yeah, it's good fun. So so now, what was your what was your education like then? I mean, prior to sailing. So well, I mean, I you know went to you know I was, grew up dinghy sailing in Optimus at the age of fifteen. I went off to I went off to uh, school um, to a school called Malvern College. Um, and and went to university for three years, which was more like uh, having a good time for three years rather than learning too much. 
Um, but really, my passion was all about sailing, and I didn't really have any plans of what I was going to do. So I was very fortunate that um, you know the lady Anne came along, and I, just through a contact, I, the three three of us went down for an interview, and due to my dinghy sailing history, I, I managed to get the job. So what happened before really is of no consequences. You really wanted to be a sailor, and that was your passion. And that's what you went after then. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've done, you know, while I was at university, I did um, a whole lot of sailing on the Solent, did the Frostbite series, and and I was involved in the tool ships race um, in my year off, um, sailing on a, a tool ship called the Royalist. Um, so, you know, bits and bobs. Um, but I guess I was, yeah, I always had a passion for boats in the sea, and... Um, and yeah, there was no sort of clear route there. I, I didn't even know the yachting industry existed while I was at university. I just knew that boats were fun, and I and I enjoyed. I seemed to know what I was doing on them, so so you know that seemed a good start. <laughs> well, I'm looking as we're as you're talking. I'm just looking through your yachts page, and you have a, a pretty extensive database. It appears of a lot of the classic yachts. Yeah. So. So there's a, there's sort of well over 2,000 yachts there. And um, it all stemmed from actually those two boats, the Lady Anne and Addicts. We, we ended up going up to the Fife Regatta in Scotland, which is um, a celebration of everything William Fife. Um, and he, uh, and uh, we were up there with the Lady Anne and Addicts and racing on the Lady Anne, Addicts being the being the mothership and looking after the guests. And during that time, I sort of uh, got sort of quite passionate about it. We were living and breathing these, these, uh, these incredible boats uh, with these amazing lines and, and, and then seeing them at their best in, in Scotland where they, were, where they were built and designed and all the rest of it. And I, I wanted to, you know, find out more about them. And there was bits and bobs, there was books, there was this and that, but um, but there didn't seem to be that much online. And and there were, you know, I, I for some reason I started putting it all down on a spreadsheet. <laughs> and um, it was initially just going to be about some William Fife boats so that I could sort of understand how they compared and and try and yeah get a bit of better understanding for myself really about them. And, um, and here we are 2000 boats later and, um, yeah, been um, busy with the site ever since. Yeah. I'm looking through here and I'm just, I'm just, I, you know, when I initially went to your website, I didn't, didn't see all this other information that you have here. And I see a list of designers and you say addicts. How do you spell that? Cause I searched your database and I could not find that. Okay, so that's A D I X. Okay, I didn't try that spelling. Okay, Addix. Yeah. So she's a an Arthur Holgate design. Yeah, she's well, you can see her. She's she's pretty special. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. So so are you still sailing on these luxury yachts now? Well, so um, I continued in the classics for some years. Um, I, I, I've been, I, I went and restored Moonbeam 4 out in Burma, and I uh, have been on the Classic Catch 
owned by Panerai Eileen for the last eight, eight, nine years. Um, and a couple of years ago, I finished with that and um, sort of tr- spending more time with the family it became more important. And, and, um, and I've taken a modern boat to enable that to happen. Um, so I'm still a captain and, and working on a, on a swan here in, in Mallorca. But, um, but um, I'm able to be home, which is fantastic. So th- this, is, this is kind of, prior- I'm getting my priorities in order. <laughs> okay, yeah. Years yeah. ago, years and years and years ago, I met this former skipper of the sailing yacht, Talon, T-A-L-O-N, not, not sailing yacht, the, the power yacht, Talon, T-A-L-O-N. I, I got to talk to him, and it, it, this is for my business. He was, it was, it was actually an investor uh, of somebody else, and I inherited the account. So I called him up, and I learned about him, and he lived in Provo, Utah, which sort of surprised me because he was a skipper of a, of a powerboat, a mega, a mega yacht powerboat. And he, he had quit, and I asked him, I said, well, why did you quit? I mean, that's the dream job of everybody. He said, well, it's the dream job of everybody until you realize you really can't have a family, you really can't have a wife, you really can't have any of these other things that to him were important, and that's why he gave it up and went to do something yeah, else. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough, and um, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I've, I've um, found I'm in, a, I'm in a good place where I've, I've got a boat that... Uh, uh, is here and and uh, you know I can go home each night and then when the boss comes I'm obviously dedicated to to him and and the activities that, that you know that happen but but you know it's great being able to go home and with Eileen we were going across the Atlantic and things like that so this was this was uh, yeah not very compatible with family life so yeah it's better for sure. So you are the uh, skipper of this boat in in Mallorca, then? Yes, I am. It's just just myself. She's a, a Swan Six Hundred One, so she's uh, a, got a lot less varnish than I'm used to, which is I can only say is pretty positive. Um, and uh, yeah, she's she's great. She's super fast. She spins on a dime. You know, instead of you haven't got these traditional keels that I'm used to, where they 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 take an age to to tack, um, relatively speaking. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a different dynamic for me, and um, and it's interesting, always always learning and and uh, yeah, new experience, you know. So you live in Mallorca then, and you've been living there for quite a while. We've been here come back here for we've been here two three years now um we were in italy for eight years before that and uh, actually our firstborn was born here in mallorca eight um what is it now 11 years ago so um yeah we've come back to her roots so yeah mallorca is great it's um it's a wonderful island it's very expat friendly and um italy seemed a bit more difficult um the people are wonderful the food's amazing the country's beautiful but it just everything just seems a little bit more difficult than it than it is here so yeah i think we've we've made the right choice years and years and years ago i was sailing my boat through the 
Gulf of Corinth, and I stopped at an island called Trezonia, and across from me was this big, I think it was an aluminum boat, and uh, we got to know the people on it, and it turns out that this was the boat that was owned by Peter Blake, uh, this famous uh, New Zealand sailor, and uh, he had he had been killed previously in the Amazon, and they were taking that boat uh, to Mallorca to be sold. Is Mallorca a, a common spot to be selling boats then? Yeah, I'd say it's certainly with sailing yachts, more so than motor yachts, I'd say it's uh, one of the key places in the Mediterranean. Um, and with that comes brokerage. Uh, sort of uh, toss up between here and the, the south of France. Um, but at the moment, with the way the the shipyard here has developed, it's called STP and Astelleros and the facilities here, it's it's pretty, uh, yeah, you, you can get everything you need, whether you're on a classic sailing boat, whether you're on a modern sailing boat, and also, you know, your motor yachts are fully catered for as well. So there's a lot of infrastructure They've got the boat show at the end of April each year. Um, yeah, it's, 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 there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And as I say, the, the, um, being an expat here is, is, um, is welcomed and is, is, is easy. Um, maybe not by all, all the local Mallorquins, but, but certainly um, the amount of money that the, the yachting sector is putting into the, the city, the island, um, is is quite something. So yeah, um, a lot of people involved, and uh, you can get the highest um, standards here um, from every side of yachting. So it's it's a good spot to be. So so what would you say your day job is then? My day job is definitely still a captain on a sailing yacht. Okay. Um, this website is 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 a hobby and a job in itself. Um, and, and I think the main thing is that it's, you know, it's always been just me. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a website designer, so, um, I've had, I've had friends do that at a, um, a very, well, definitely a competitive rate. Um, so that's been really good. And I'll sort of, um, sort of put my thoughts in, but, but all the content, every bit of content you see is is I put in you know typed it in and so you know it's it's a lot of work and um, keeping on top of it continues to be a lot of work. Um, we've just we've just started talking about brokerage. We've just sort of developed and got our yachts for sale page up um, and really going well. Um, so we're we're working trying to promote that a lot more on our on our social media channels and um, yeah, but it's it stemmed from a passion and uh, the main thing that's great about it is that from my point of view is leaving all that information available to everybody. So the database, as you say, has got two thousand plus boats. You've got links through to the designers and the type of boat and and the years and. And I'm trying to do a kind of um, Wikipedia of, of classic yachts, if you like, so that they all sort of interlink and, um, and, and uh, yeah, you can sort of build up a picture um, through that. But obviously it's, it's, 
it's never ending. You know, there are there are hundreds of thousands. It feels like classic yachts, and I'm trying to keep it to those that still exist, so that kind of narrows the field a little bit. But still, it's you know, I'm one person, and I've I've got a life and a, a job and a family. So you know, it's um, yeah, it's it's busy. Yeah, and and so I'm looking. I'm just I'm as you're talking. I'm, I went to your um, your yacht brokerage page, and I just poked in uh, price of a boat from one dollar to three hundred or one euro. Is that euro? Yeah, that's one euro to three hundred ninety nine thousand yeah. euro. Um, any any length, and uh, popped up with uh, a few boats. And these are these are only classic boats. That's all you, that you deal with. It looks like. Yeah, so I'm definitely restricting it to, to classics. I mean, that's what the whole site's about. Um, my my hope is to try and make this a place where yacht brokers would like to list their boats um, because, because we've been around for sort of, or this site's been around for 15, 20 years. Um, I'd like to think that people, you know, like to use it and that uh, due to the database being quite extensive, uh, a lot of Google searches take you, as you tried with the Lady Anne, take you automatically to the site. So um, in line with that, I'd like to, yeah, um, we've got Sanderman up there and Zach Boats and, and Edmiston at the moment. So we've got a few brokers um, and getting involved, and but but primarily keeping it all classic. That's important. They can be motor yacht as well, but primarily it needs to be classic because you know that's what the whole site's about, and that's the niche I guess I'm going for. Okay, here I'm looking at a boat called Lockie. Does a yeah. year built 1948. It's a yawl, 11.7 meters in length. Let me ask you a question because I had uh, a yacht uh, insurance broker on on the podcast a while back, and he said. It's getting very, very difficult to get insurance for boats over thirty years old. Um, are you seeing that? Are, are are you finding any information on getting insurance on these classic old yachts, or do you have to go to a specialty insurer to do that? Um, from my experience, it's never been an issue. I've, I've noticed recently that Pantaneous is now. Um, taking different approaches. I'm, I can't quite work out whether they're, I'm speaking with them tomorrow, I can't quite work out whether they've dissolved or whether they're, they're, um, they're now, you know, using a different approach and getting the, the people who list with them to go with different broker, a different broker or different insurance. But, um, so it seems like the market might be changing or be under a bit of pressure at the moment. Um, from a classic point of view, I, I don't, there hasn't been any issues that I've Okay. Okay, I'm back with Andrew. We lost uh, connection from Skype. Andrew, you were talking about insurance when I lost you, so you can continue your thought if you can remember where you were. Yeah, so, um, yeah I was talking about Pantaneous. I think they're going through some stuff at the moment. I think I, what I was trying to say is that basically, in my experience, there hasn't been an issue with getting classic yacht insurance. Um we have a company that's actually advertising on the homepage called Simon Winter Marine, and they're pretty keen to uh, take on any um, any classics when, when you know they're, they're, they're marketing on the site. So, um, but also um, there are 
I'm, I'm being approached by other insurance companies quite often. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't see there being a problem. At the end of the day, to me, they're, you know, they, they have the same elements as to a modern boat that they're, 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 they're built um, as strong. And even though they're old, you know, they, they all need their third party insurance and, and, uh, and will pay the same, same premiums. So yeah, to me, I, I would think uh, it shouldn't be a problem. You just need to maybe look around a bit. Uh, I know it's, it's different potentially in, in the States um, to, to Europe. So maybe that's, uh, I'm not so sure about the, the policies over there. But. Yeah, I know. I, it, that's what led to my interview with uh, Don Spink of, um, of uh, I forget the name of his brokerage, uh, Blue Water Insurance in Florida. And uh, I dealt with him long before I switched to Pantaneous. And then I got this email from Pantaneous this year. said, we're not going to renew. Go away. Find find your insurance somewhere else. And Exactly, exactly. That and that that's a similar thing that I had actually with the boat I'm currently on. And um yeah, I'm talking them to them tomorrow to sort of um yeah, make the next plan. <laughs> um but I yeah, I'm not sure whether that's uh because they have so many boats and their liability is so great or or whether there's a coronavirus impact or not sure, but um yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm at your homepage, and I'm looking for this insurance broker you mentioned. So, so it's just down on the right. Um, he's called Simon Winter Marine. There's a little banner down on the right, uh, on the right right hand column. Okay, all right. So there it is. Yeah, that's there. It is Marine Insurance. Good. All right. So, are are you able to make money off of your website yet? <sighs> well, that's that's the big question. Um, basically. Uh, very little is the current uh, <laughs> position. There's um, Simon Winter, as you saw, there's a banner there. He gives me a, a few few quid a month. And there's uh, Edmiston, um, another banner there. Um, it's certainly, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it covers the work I do on the site. <laughs> um, but So I'm really hoping that the, the listings that I've got, the yachts for sale, um, I'm really hoping that sort of takes hold and there's a lot of interest um, when I look at my sort of Google Analytics or look at my uh, the figures of, of how the site's doing. Um, you know, America actually is is the number one um, uh, number one on the visitors to the site and UK's, you know, English speaking countries primarily. So UK after that and then New Zealand, Australia, and then it's going into sort of Europe, France, um, Italy, Spain, and the Scandinavia. Um, so, um, providing that interest remains, um, hopefully there'll be some money to be made on on the listings. But I'm also I'm always keen for people to write in and um, and come up with the the classic the classic boat story, whether it be about the boat they own or they they've been on in the past or or they're they're building in their in their backyard or or whatever because um this is what it's all about for me it's it's the stories and the passion that comes with it and i've never sort of uh i don't think i've ever seen quite as much passion in the for the actual boats themselves and 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 the grind that goes into the to the varnish and, and making them so, so, you know, so incredible to look at. Um, it's special in the classics. It's, um, it's, 
it's hard to wean yourself off and say and so that's why this site sort of and um, i guess is a product of that and uh yeah money money would be good down the road <laughs> <laughs> well, coming back to your subject <laughs> yeah yeah well you've done a, a tremendous job on putting together a lot of information here you got a lot of articles uh you got information on the regattas restorations you've got a lot of photographs uh some books that you recommend uh and a forum i haven't really looked at the forum do you do you see much activity in your forum no the forums um i probably need to take it down i'm um it, it was there as an initial thing it's been there it, it's it basically it's not it's not active at all yeah um i think like- at the moment i i don't know whether and I, I see, you know, Wooden Boat and these these uh, other online forums have some great success. I guess it's, you know, with social media media these days, you know, we've we've got three and a half thousand on Facebook and Instagram, and it's it's I guess it's quick and easy, and it's um, it's uh, it's out there immediately, you know, and um, and everybody's using it. So it would be nice to have some more forum discussions, but that means. Another thing that I need input on um, and a bit of creativity to get some conversation going. And to be honest, there's just not enough uh, hours in the day. So it's, um, I try and concentrate on, the, on getting a new post up on the homepage, um, you know, <laughs> uh, a bit more regularly than, than is currently happening, which is always a challenge. That, that's exactly how I feel. People say, well, you should be promoting through social media. And I say, you know, by the time I do a podcast... I, I do the website, do everything else. I don't have time to do social media. That's the problem. That is the problem. If you're a one-man show like you and I are, there, if you want to have a real life, you can't spend your life on the Internet posting on Facebook or Twitter or social media and producing podcasts and, like you, content and information for your website. So I, I'm always happy to hand that off to anybody that wants to take over my social media because that's not <laughs> where my interest is, that's for sure. So, hey, do you get to get any of the uh, regattas? Because I see you have a whole listing of the regattas here. Yeah, so every year I do um, the classic, a classic yacht regatta um, page or listing, if you like, mm-hmm. and that's there on the top right. There's a little banner. Um, that, that I've been doing for a good probably 10 years now, and that's been super... Uh, super popular because everybody likes to, you know, plan plan their plan plan their regattas at the end of the year and um, for the year to come. And I've kind of taken the slant of going worldwide and trying to trying to key into the the most uh, important um, regattas or, or the bigger regattas. Um, and yeah, it's. Uh, well, as you can see, when as you scroll down now, and uh, you'll see a lot of them. I've tried to update them as the news comes in with cancelled, postponed, etc., due to the due to the pandemic. But um, yeah, this is something I, I keep trying to do every year because um, it's one of the most popular posts I put up. Um, it's yeah because people are it's a one-stop place where you can get all the information you got it's very basic it's the date it's the name of the regatta and it's a link and um but that's what you need yeah and i'm looking here for the corsica classic on here where is it it's got to be down here somewhere uh, i don't see that listed I, in the mediterranean 
Oh no, uh, then he's going to shoot me. Tebow's going to shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> I need to organize that. You um, better I, get it on I know, there, yeah. I know that you did a podcast with him the other day, and um, yeah, I know him well. So uh, yeah, I need to get that sorted. Yeah. Well, they've supposedly we're going to be doing it at um, August 25th, is when they're going to do it, assuming everything's open. And I'm, I'm scheduled to go attend it. Do you attend any of these classic regattas during the year? Um, I haven't done in the last couple of years. Um, as, as I said before, with, with Eileen that I was captain on, due, due to it being the Panerai boat, we we uh, went round and did all the Panerai events, which was um, sort of four or five um, regattas every year in the Mediterranean. Um, and so so that was great. That was um, Antibes and, and Argentaro, Mahon, um, and Imperia and Cannes. So... So there were some great events, but I haven't, since I've left the boat, um, there are some local ones here in Mallorca. There's a Club de Mar event, um, which is good. And uh, yeah, so keeping it local now. And um, But yeah, I mean, I recommend them all. They're, they're just everyone has its own personality. And um, yeah, you just see these incredible boats, um, you know, racing and, and the the camaraderie between the crews and and uh, the, the spectacle. It's just, yeah, it's something special. All right. So I'm looking at, I assume you're in Palma, Mallorca. Is that correct? I am, yeah. I, I um, The boat that I work on is there. I, I live out in the middle of the island, but, yeah, the boat's there. I went there years ago when I sailed through. I haven't been back for a long time. But I know I took that little railroad from Palma way up and over and then down into... Uh, where was it? It was. Uh, it goes to Soyer. That's right. Yeah, Soyer. That was a lot of fun. And then I hitchhiked. Yes. Then I hitchhiked back. Uh, then I hitchhiked back on the road, <laughs> coming back to Palma, because I wanted to go inland coming back. So that was uh, that was a fun day trip for me. Yeah. Where, where was it? There was that mountain town where some famous authors lived. Um, so you've got Soyer, which is this lovely little horseshoe mm-hmm. bay, um, right. as you say, on the other side of the mountain range called the Tramontana. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Dea, maybe you're thinking of. That's where you've got um, uh, Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones have a place there. And, and I'm sure there are a number of artists in that area. Yeah, um, that, that's where it was. Yeah, because I, I pretty much went the coastal road on the way back. And uh, yeah, that's where I ended up. It was it was a beautiful little village I wandered around. Yeah, there's some great spots here, and and really sort of island wide as well. I mean, um, every every corner of the island has something has something quite different. And um, the Tramontana is obviously um, spectacular in its own in its own way, you know, World Heritage Center and all the rest of it. But um, there are lots of, you know, I've, I've been here for two, three years now, and I've spent at least a couple of years in the past being here, and there are still many spots I need to investigate and, and try out. We try and do a, a different corner when we get time out and, and go there with the families and family and, and, you know, see somewhere new. So you have children? Yeah, I've got um, got two girls, eleven and nine. So you know, on top of everything else, it's busy times. Yeah, are they learning uh, Spanish as they grow up automatically? Yeah, so they're um, they're in a local school, so they're actually learning Spanish and Catalan. Um, 
And yeah, that's, I guess, I guess at a young age, you just soak it up and that's what they're doing. It's, it's really impressive. Um, they're beginning to, uh, teach us how to, how to communicate with the locals, which is nice. Um, but, um, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, we're in a little village, um, sort of hidden away a bit at, at the, in the foothills of, of the Tramontana and, um, it's, yeah, it's a great little sport. It's called Salva and, um, it's quiet and, and, uh, we, we, you know, the, the tourist invasion that we normally have of sort of t 2 million each summer, um, obviously hasn't really peaked this year, but, but, um, even so, even when it's at its worst, it's here where we are is, is sort of hidden away and, and, um, still keeps its very sort of local Mallorquian uh, way about it. So yeah, a special place. Cool. So I'm looking uh, at the bay and it looks like the main boat yard is for mega yachts right there on the, that big key that comes out into the bay. And it looks like there's a lot of boats on the hard, uh, having work done. There's, there's not really a winter storage there, is there? It's mainly for boats being worked on. Yeah, so that, that main key there is um, STP shipyard. And in there, uh, they have all the services you require. But um, as you say, it's busy. Right now, you'll see boats in and out. You'll have you'll have J class in there down to TP fifty twos. You'll have you'll have you know classics to little to little um, local Mallorquian uh, yachts. Um, really anything and everything. Um, and and it's during the winter you'll see a lot of boats going through full on winter refits. They'll be tented up. They'll be having paint jobs. They'll be having you know and you know engineering work going on inside. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of money spent on that that slab of concrete. That's for sure, um, and um, and alongside to the, uh, next to that is ship the shipyard Astilleros, which is another finger that pokes out more into the sort of marina into the berthing area, and that is actually where addicts was um was built back in 1986 coming back to addicts um but yeah so there's there's a lot going on there so stp i mean due to the due to the pandemic at the moment a lot of boats have decided to pull this season and get the work done early um presumably with the plan to sort of launch in october november time and get ready for the trade winds and head across and get you know so that they can do all their events and uh, racing and cruising in, in the Caribbean. Um, others were are just doing this in the hope that Saint Tropez is still going ahead. Le Bois de Saint Tropez, which is sort of beginning of October, um, which is a big event for for many boats. Um, yeah, but it's 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 it never ceases in there. It it is always busy. It is it's crazy. So has it been slowing down much by COVID this year? I think there was a stage. Um, I don't. Know, I think the work has sort of in the last month, people with the change of programs have gone right. Let's get into the shipyard and do the work that we were going to do later. Um, I think there was a lot of obviously there was a lot of delays because a lot of companies couldn't go to work during the 
it was a pretty harsh lockdown here in Spain. Um, there was um, a two-week stint where pretty much nobody was allowed to leave home other than, you know, other than for food. Um, my, my kids, for example, they, they weren't allowed to leave the house for two months. Um, we're fortunate we have a bit of, we have a bit of outside area here, but I really felt for those people stuck in, in the towns and the cities here. Um, so it's, you know, without, with just a small balcony or something. So yeah, it's, um, that, that's had an impact on the yachting because that, that made everything delayed. Um, and they, they all then had to play catch up. Um, but, but no, I think it's pretty robust because there's just, because it's such a popular location for sailing yachts, especially and motor as well, but primarily sailing and, and because of the incredible infrastructure that the, the yachting has here. Um, yeah, it seems to be pretty resilient and everybody's getting on, getting on as almost like normal, you know? Yeah. I talked to uh, one of my podcast guests and friends, Jack Andrews. He's been down in Grenada, and he told me last week that he had been at Anchor now for 180 days because, most of it because of the uh, coronavirus, uh, because he wasn't allowed to, to leave his boat except to go to shore to get some groceries every now and then. Um, so it opened up. Out of curiosity, so let's say that I had sailed in to uh, Palma, Mallorca, and the state at the main marina, which is that big one that goes out forever into the bay, and uh, and then they then I got then the coronavirus came in and they said you can't leave. Am I stuck there with a, a huge a huge birthing fee during that period of time because I can't leave? I wonder I wonder yeah. how that would work. <laughs> yeah, there, there were definitely some yachts that that um, couldn't move. Um, they were stuck to the dock. Um, there was one, one or two that actually passed through in transit that came from Antigua, um, they, but they, they arrived to the dock. They stayed there a few days to wait for a weather window, but they weren't allowed off the boat. And food was brought to the boat that they'd ordered. You know, so it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty, um, they, were, they, were keeping, they were keeping the foreigners or whoever, you know, people from outside of Mallorca away. And that included the mainland Spaniards, you know, there weren't, there weren't very many flights there, all the ferries stopped from mainland. So yeah, it was, and now they're kind of using Mallorca as a guinea pig to, to, to see how we all cope with, with tourism starting again. So yeah, interesting times. So has tourism opened again then in, in Mallorca? Has it, is the sailing season open or what's the story there? Yeah, so if you've got a boat here, you can you you're able to sail right now, um, and you can sail from I believe you can sail from island to island. Um, German tourism has been going for a couple of weeks now. Um, Mallorca is is so heavily reliant on tourism that it was um, it was it was pretty keen to get it moving as soon as possible. And so, um, due to Germany's, um, you know, how they dealt with, with the pandemic, um, they were sort of the first ones that were able to come in. And there's also a high, high population here of Germans and English. Um, and the English are currently allowed in on the 6th of July, um, in their droves. So we're kind of bracing for that. (laughs) 
Um, and um, hoping that, you know, a second wave doesn't happen. It's sort of, yeah it's, yeah, it's a bit strange. So, I mean, from my point of view, I kind of feel that everybody should be just doing national tourism and keeping it within your own countries and, and really just enjoying your own country. And that would, that would um, you know, keep the tourism going and, and keep each country's own pandemic strategy in place. Um, rather than making it, but, but obviously from an economy point of view, that's difficult, but you know, that's why I'm not in politics. I remember when I sailed in there, it was one of the most expensive marinas I went to in the entire Mediterranean. And uh, is, is there any bargains in the, uh, in the, uh, in Palma Mallorca? Cause it looks to me like there's a lot more marinas than there were when I initially sailed there. If you were sailing in there on a, uh, on a cruising boat, and you want you were budget, uh, cons- you were con- you were on a conservative budget. Where would you go? Would you still go to the main marina? So you you can come into Palma. I mean, the, because there are so many marinas, especially during the height of summer, there's quite a lot of movement, and so there's uh, berths do open up quite a lot. Whereas during the winter time, um, it's very much a case. Of, well, everything becomes quite full. So, so at least there's space. I'm not saying it's affordable space, but there is <laughs> the possibility of being able to get in. Um, there are other options, though. I mean, you can. There, there's um, there are some little anchorages in the Bay of Palma behind Ilietas, which is near Port House, um, and, and things like this. So you can, if you're prepared to anchor, um, and it's midsummer, then. You know, there's there's plenty of that that can go on, and they can just come in and and refuel and and water up or have a day on the dock or whatever. That that's no worries. But the other option, of course, is to head more to the north of the island. Um, a lot of the bigger boats can't get into Alcuda, Alcudia, and Poyensa mainly due to the the shallow water, shallower waters. Um, you can get in if you're two and a half, three craft, but but if you're, you know, a lot of these six meters, so it's a no-go for them, which makes it um, more affordable as well because they're they're going for a smaller, smaller boat. But but having said all that, it's still busy. Um, in a normal year, it's 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 a busy island. Um, but it's a, it's a great jumping off point because you've got your international airport and, and, and you've got two or three islands, you know, the, you know Menorca, Ibiza and Formentera that are close by. And, and the four of them are, are all, you know, fam, fantastic places for cruising. So it's, um, it's a good spot for, uh, for some time out. When I sailed uh, around Mallorca, I went around the, um, the north west side, that real straight coast. I had a good weather window, so I felt comfortable doing that. But it looks to me like there's a lot more interesting things if you go around uh, from Palma, Mallorca, counterclockwise. Yeah, you can, there are lots of, um, on that sort of south, once you go past Cabrera, the little island on the southeastern point, um, you've got a lot of little, uh, lot of little inlets called calas. Um which are pretty special, um, and uh, you've got Puerto Colom, and, uh, but very much for the smaller boats. And as you say, so if you're coming with a smaller boat and you're cruising, those are the places that are really great to see. Palmer's a big open bay and great breeze, and, and Palmer's a great city. 
but um, as you say, the northwest coast is is mountains and and um, just soyer pretty much as 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 your your marina option. But yeah, there's there's a, there's uh, some good calories on that southeastern coastline, and um, and then Menorca just just beyond. Well, is there anything else you would like to share with people before we call it an interview? We've been going on about. Yeah, about it, about 50 minutes now, which is about the length I like to go. And I don't want to cut you off, but is there anything else you want to tell people about your website? No. Well, no worry. I mean, it's just, well, thanks for having me, friends. It's just really just to say, uh, you know, I hope people continue to enjoy it. I get messages of support and sort of thanks for, for the information, um, which is really, always really nice to hear. There's a little get in touch button, so if you want to write in and, and add your own information on a on a classic boat, on your classic boat, um, it won't necessarily go up immediately, but it will go up. Um, uh, I can uh, I can almost promise you that. Um, no, but it's it, I, I try and get everything up, but sometimes it can be a, a month down the road. Um, and really, just uh, yeah, obviously there's the yacht for sale page, but it's it's just enjoy it, enjoy it's sort of investigating and and trolling through the information that's there it's just nice that it it can can be used and people are into it and um and hopefully the site will keep going for another 15 20 years and more right thanks andrew i really appreciate you coming on the podcast it's been fun thanks friends appreciate it there's sort of a cliche in the sailing community about the dream of sailing versus the reality of sailing Sailing is romantic. The idea of sailing along in tropical breezes on a broad reach, clear sky, blue water, it's very enticing and very romantic. And so that's why the story persists of the farmer who sells the farm and buys a boat. He and his wife get on the boat in California, sail to Hawaii and get off the boat, sell the boat and go back and buy the farm again. The romance of sailing and the reality of sailing are totally different. And before you get too absorbed in the romance of sailing, let me suggest that you take some time and actually do some long-distance sailing before you sell everything and buy the boat and go sailing. I personally have a few friends that have, have sold the house, bought the boat, gone sailing, and And then it wasn't what they expected it to be. So before you buy the dream, drink the Kool-Aid, get some offshore experience. Andy Shell at 59 degrees north does offer some time out on a boat. But there's other ways to get that same experience. And I've talked in the past of just start sailing. Get on a racing crew. Wherever you're at, learn the ropes. Learn that it's not all tropical breeze sailing, trade wind sailing. Learn that sometimes you have to beat into the wind, and sometimes those waves are going to be miserable. And you might have a tendency to become seasick. But along the way, get some sailing experience. And I don't care how you do it, but get some sailing experience. Get some get some sea miles under you. Find out if you really enjoy it. A long time ago, I had the opportunity to fly a small plane. I owned a business and we had to spot brine shrimp eggs from the sky. So I hired a pilot and a plane and I would go up with them and spot the brine shrimp eggs and radio 
down the location to our crew that was on the water and they would go round up the brine shrimp eggs. This is on Great Salt Lake. And my pilot was also an instructor. So I said, well, as long as I'm paying for the plane and you, let's give me some lessons. So I had about 20 hours of lessons of flying. There was a time when I thought I would want to be a pilot. And after about 20 hours of lessons, I thought, well, this is fun, but it's not my passion. But I had the opportunity to discover that before I spent too much money. The money I spent, I was spending anyway. So anyway, before you become a sailor, you have to learn the terminology. And I have a series of lessons in my audiobook, Sailing, Learn to Sail, Basic Keelboat Certification, Lessons for the ASA 101 exam. This is the first of the ASA exams, and it's similar to the Royal Yacht Association exams for sailing. In fact, I may modify it and do the same thing for the Royal Yacht Association for their written exam as well, because the material is very similar. But learn the terminology, learn the basic techniques of sailing, and then go get on a boat, and you'll be much further ahead, at least having listened to that audio lesson. Also, pick up some books, look at diagrams. That helps a lot in visualizing what you're going to be doing on the water. You can find this course at the website medsailor.com. It's $29.99. All right, let's get back to this episode. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. <laughs> 